Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. I'm a feminist, but today I was looking at the BBC News website and I saw an article that said, this was the headline, could showering at the gym save you money? And I was like, is this... This was, a ma- this was a proper news story on the BBC News website. I was like, we are one of the richest fucking countries in the world. What has this government led us to that we are now going to the gym to show... Also, by the way, the people who can afford gym memberships in this crisis, <laughs> oh, they can go and have a nice hot shower at the gym and save money at home. What about most people in this country who will never... Fo- I was so angry... And I was, I was so angry until I was really briefly distracted by the fact that the model that they'd used in the picture to demonstrate a man in a shower was so hot. And it was done to distract me, and I know it was, but I'm going to show you. I can't show everyone, but I'm going to show you, and you will see what I mean. I think this was done on purpose to de-anger me. Um, where is he now? Oh, I've lost him now. I've lost him. All oh, there we, are. there we are. There we are. Harry the Pope. Look. <gasps> oh, and it's a video. That's an unnecessary, isn't it? That no, is a... he was a handsome young I don't know man. What that's done. Oh, yeah, it's a handsome young man. But oh, it's a whole video, and there's yeah. And the shower's going right in his face, like like. <laughs> it's a sex video. It's a sex. It's a. It's it's like oh, could you shower at the gym? And I'm like, well, you know, could, why? What is this a hookup thing or for save money? I'm telling you, it was extremely distracting. I was distracted by my righteous feminist anger by, admittedly, a very hot man. Just check out the BBC website and that story if you're interested. (laughs) Have you got one? Um, Yes, I do. I'm a feminist, but recently when I met a very lovely woman who lived in a massive house who very confidently told me, oh, I've never really had a proper job. My husband earns an awful lot of money, so I just enjoyed the children and the dogs. I thought, oh, my God, I have been a fool. (laughs) I was sold a lie. I have taken the independent woman thing too far. I am 49 years old, and the boyfriend I have now that I've only had since last year, he's the first man that I've been out with who earns a living. (laughs) I I thought you were going to say more than I do. No. No, no, it doesn't earn more than me. But (laughs) I'm still a control freak. But um, (laughs) a living... He earns a living. He has a job. He bought me a carpentry uh, course for Christmas. And before that... I mean, I I suppose that is feminist in a way. Well, I'd only ever got poems before. And, yeah, and it's... Poems? Yeah, well, I mean, when you don't have a lot, you know, they won't be poems. No. Uh, No, no poems. Okay, I just found that um, my dad took me... uh, I went on a date when I was about 16... 
to Pizza Hut and my dad gave me money and he said, whatever happens, insist on paying for both of you. You pay, you pay, you pay because his mind is like, if, if, if the guy pays, then... He's got to feel his own something. Yeah. yeah, and I just took that too far because I love my dad and I've been out with, yeah, I have paid Only so been out with much. men who can't afford to pay their half at Pizza Hut. Nothing. <laughs> I'm telling you this, Shappy, if a man gave me a poem for Christmas, he'd better be fucking Byron. <laughs> Anything less than Keats, that man, oh, that man better be backing the fuck away. And listen, it's not about money. I'm not a materialist. Some of the best presents I've had have been things that are expressions of, you know, something someone's done for me or something like that. Tom uh, would, over the years, he, if I would mention some, a book I had as a child that was out of print or, oh, I saw this film years ago and I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, and I can't find it anywhere, but I know it had this actor in it he would spend years on eBay looking for it and then buy it for, you know, it's probably four ninety nine because it's completely out of print and no one's ever heard of it, or two quid or something, but it would go in my stocking and I'd be like, oh my God, this is the most romantic thing ever. Uh, another really romantic thing Tom used to do is when I was doing a stand-up show, he would text me, if, if I improvised something new and it got a laugh, he would text it to me so I could remember it for the next night. Isn't that romantic? That doesn't cost anything, but it's not a fucking poem. <laughs> and... I just, I'm sorry, but he'd have to be such a good poet. Like, if I was dating the poet laureate, yes, okay, I'm down with that. But, no, no, I mean... poet laureates. And, you yeah, didn't... I, I used to think there's something just desperately romantic about going out with a starving artist. There isn't Not nothing. a successful artist, no. but just one that no. would go, oh, can you lend me some money for the bus? That, I, just, I don't know what it was that just gave me the horn. Um, and it just... I'm a feminist, but... I just felt, I just, you know that feeling where you've dropped at Christmas because you've had too big a year and you're really exhausted. And then the first week of January, in my opinion, should be for restoration. You know, it should be for, not the restoration, just to be clear, not, not a time of art, the opposite, like a time of like, you know, do some yoga, read, get your head in the game. And, <laughs> and just sort of, you know, anyway, obviously I've hit the ground running quite hard. And I said to my friend Susie Wacoma, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I'm so tired. And she said, what you need is to dress for the mojo you want. And so she said, you've got to get an item of clothing from State of Disarray. Now, State of Disarray, ethical, they actually have pictures of people on the website and they say, I made your clothes. And also I thought State of Disarray, right, Sounds a bit like smashing the patriarchy. That's how I justified buying this festival bolero. Okay, the reason I'm here tonight is this festival bolero. Because you can't sit around at home in this. Listeners, if you're listening at home, I'm wearing a bolero. I mean, what do I think I am? Do I think I am about to be an ice dancer? Yes, that's what I feel like. It's a black velvet with silver stars and, and it's got these fringy sequin sleeves. And when you put this on at home, even if you're very tired and thinking, oh God, it's going to be hard to go out and get the energy. No, it's not. Because this is like a superhero's cape that gives you the energy to do whatever it is that you want. So what I'm saying is, state of disarray, if you're listening, I want one in every colour. Please send them to me. This I'll is a feminist godsend. It's so a feminist godsend. I can get you this for next Christmas. Thank you. I will have them in every colour before then. So, next one. 
I'm a feminist, but when my brother recently said something that I felt was a little bit sexist, instead of properly pulling him up on it, um, for Christmas I bought him a T-shirt saying, Son, Brother, Feminist, in pink. (laughs) That was what he got for Christmas. He probably would have rather had a poem. Yeah. Well, he's my brother, not... Well, yeah, you know, anyway. Did he find it funny? He did. He laughed for ages. And I thought, well, the fact that you found it funny proves my point that what you said was really sexist. What it was, right, we were in this restaurant and my dad called the waitress, thank you, darling. And I, sorry, he's, he's not, you know, whatever. He's, that, that wasn't a comedy foreign accent. Why do I feel racist about impersonating my dad? And I said, Dad, don't call her darling. Women don't like that. And, he, and my, my brother said, oh, come on, he's an old guy. She won't mind. I was like, yeah. Anyway, so that was the thing. And it became a bit of a thing because I'd had a lot of red wine. And a lot of residual sort of obviously anger about being the younger sibling for 16 years and never really got over the fact that my brother used to call me the incredible bulk and he hasn't called me that since he was eight years old but for some reason I still want him punished for it. Um, So I got him this t-shirt. I mean, listen, there's a lot of ancient domestic role play going on at Christmas in everyone's house. Let us be very clear. I'm a feminist but... For Christmas, I got so many feminist books, including Joan Didion, uh, books about why we're becoming more polarised. <laughs> I asked for the complete works of Maya Angelou because I've been working through them on the Kindle and I love them so much that I feel like I want, you know, I want the proper book of them. And I admit I might have spent the whole Christmas reading the Alan Rickman diaries. <laughs> now, I'll Perfect. tell you why. I am going to get to the others. I am. But I'll tell you why. He didn't know they were going to be published. So at the beginning, it says, we have no way of knowing whether Alan Rickman would have wanted his private diaries published. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we do. He would have said, by the way, these are, I'm doing these for publication and, you know, take out all the bits where I say things like, I stayed at such and such friend's house named here for Christmas. Their children are so spoilt, they need a new word for spoilt. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The Harry Potter kids can't act. I mean, all sorts, all sorts. And I was, like, point there. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. If I, look, if I die, Shappy, whatever I've said to you about other people, that goes with you to the grave, all right? I don't want you going, we've got no way of knowing whether Deborah would have wanted this bit of backstage gossip, just, just told us a eulogy at her funeral while Chortle are in. No, we don't, no. I'm, when I write my diary, I'm so careful what I write. But even before I did comedy, yeah. even when I was a kid, you were I careful. lied in my own diary. Yeah, in case your mum read it. Has anyone ever accidentally bought you your own book for Christmas? Accidentally bought me my own book. Because when you said feminist books, oh, I, I see. just wondered if they'd ever bought you, if you'd ever got Deborah a Francis White, The Guilty Feminist. If they'd I just think like, they'd have had to not know me very well. Books. And thought, oh, she'd like this. That's the and name of her tired. podcast. <laughs> She's, that's right up her street. That's right up her street. It's literally called A Guilty Feminist. I'm a feminist, but if I meet a woman at a party or something, and I think she, and, and if she hasn't got any makeup on, I, oh, I do, do this weird thing of telling her. I don't normally wear makeup either. I just tonight. I just did a bit. I'm like you. I am cool like you. I am comfortable with myself. I don't care about pretty. I don't give a shit. Uh, we are one. We are one. And just wiping my lipstick off because I want. I just think they'll like me more. Oh, I know that. I know that. That's like yeah. I absolutely know that feeling. 
really feel where, quite overshared. <laughs> no, no, I feel the same sometimes. I just say, oh, it's just... I, I mean, I have. If, if it comes up, I'll just be like, look, I just wear a bit of tinted moisturiser, really, and it's just a bit of eyeliner. <laughs> just an eyeliner. Eyeliner always makes me feel good, but uh, really nothing else. Maybe a bit of lipstick, maybe a bit of bronzer, <laughs> a bit of highlighter, maybe a bit of powder, but listen, nothing more... <laughs> Than that, I have actually found this bright beauty pie brightening concealer, which really does make a difference. But nothing else, <laughs> nothing else. I'll tell you what is good though. Trini London does. I may have strayed here, but Trini London does these little pots, and a, you can have a perfect smoky eye if you use two of those. One of them's called Wisdom, the other one's called something like Feminism or something, and. <laughs> And it gives you a perfect smoky eye. And you just dip your finger in and you just go like that because I'm not very good at sort of sitting around for hours with the brushes. It really does work. I love um, the names. Like, that's the equivalent, like calling it wisdom of when they call like a men's, you know, soap power. Oh, yeah. They always call it grunt or something, don't yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> Thrust. <laughs> Thrust for men. Trust issues for women. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's true. And it always comes in a bottle that looks like it should be in a hardware or B&Q or something, just so that they... Just, just, it's not feminine to be <laughs> hygienic. It's like, no, it really isn't, actually. It isn't. I don't think they need a special bottle that says, you know, cum blaster. Um, <laughs> live from the Soho Theatre in London, the Sponsored In Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Shaparat Kosandi, and our very special guests, Ramita Navai and Rajin Babai, talking about Iran. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you so much for coming. We've got a very special show for you this evening. Give us a cheer if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. <laughs> Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. Okay, well, you're very excited to not really... See, normally, I think the cheers for... Don't, if they don't know what they're at, people go, yay. And I always think the cheers sound significantly less feminist. Uh, uncertainty. And I always think, don't worry, by the end of this hour, you'll be completely on board. You'll be cheering like this. Woo! But you were so happy not to know what this was. Uh, have you stumbled... Were you meant to see a play upstairs and you've stumbled into the wrong room? What's happened? Uh, now, what I find fascinating, gang, is I always think, if I went to a men's rights activist conference just to check it out, see what the enemy was up to, A, I would not sit in the front row. I would not have the courage. If I was doing a secret documentary with a secret camera in my bra, which is where I would put it, um, I would be sort of back middle. Do you know what I mean? I'd be really trying to blend in. And if somebody said to me, are you a men's rights activist? From the stage of the mic, I'd be like, yes, very much so. I love, I love men and all that. They should have more rights, I think. Uh, I would never be like, woo, let me draw attention to myself. And then, no, not a men's rights activist. Do you know why? I would be frightened of being killed. But this, and I don't want to assume your gender. Are you a man? What is gender? What is gender? Okay. Well, what an interesting beginning. It's only the 5th of January. It's very early for this kind of feminist ping pong, isn't it? Very early. I don't know now if you're taking the piss or you're being real with me. I don't know. I don't know. Just having a good time. I mean, I'm, so th I'm genuinely thrilled by your joy. Don't get me wrong. What's your name? Shan. Shan. Okay, well, Shan, thanks for joining us. And we hope... Did your friends bring you? Yes, these are my 
Okay. And do you like the guilty feminist? Yes, you do. Have you brought Sham so they can learn something? Or <laughs> Sorry? Sorry? Yes, you've brought Sean because you thought Sean should learn about feminism. Listen, Sean, I feel, but your joyful, enthusiastic spirit, I feel, has brought you here with an open heart. And I feel by the time you leave, you will be 100% a feminist. Yes. A guilty feminist. Is That's what you're looking for. Excellent. In 2023, be, be a little more Sean. Walk into rooms going, I want to be whatever this is. Um, do check what the room is first. Check what the room is first. Check what the room is first. There are, there are, there are many polarised rooms in London at the moment. Just check, check. Um, I actually have been asking people uh, for a minor act of feminism. Just what have you been doing lately? You may have heard me asking this on the podcast, and we've had some really good ones. Has anyone done an act of feminism that would intimidate nobody? You see what I mean by that? Something where other people can go, well, I'll be, I, can, I can be a better feminist than that. <laughs> yes, great. Oh, hold on one second. I'm just going to give you the mic so they can hear at home. Work. I went to work. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we applaud, is it a feminist job? No. no. So where's the feminist bit? It's just like I dragged myself out of bed. I did the thing I needed to do to support my family. Sorry? Having a job is feminist. Okay, so, I mean, to be fair, I asked for a low bar. Listen, there are women of previous generations, you are living their fantasies by having a job. They're like, we fought for women to have jobs. And a lot of us are now going, why? Take that back, take that back, take that back. No, we're not. We're thrilled to have jobs, just not in the first week of January. I agree, I agree. Anybody else got a mini act of feminism? Did you say you had one? Oh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, do her, okay. That could be an act of feminism. I, I got my husband to cook Christmas dinner. Oh! Very good. And when you say got him to, do you usually do it? I have done, but... You have done. You have done in the past. This year, when you say you got him to do it, did you sort of say, I'm putting my foot down, I do it a lot, you need to do it? No, he went willingly. He went willingly. <laughs> you said, go into the kit. Did you do anything? Did you help in any way? Or did you just... Sit with the celebrations, watching the king's speech mournfully. I made the stuffing. I bet you did. <laughs> it's called the guilty feminist show. What was yours? Okay, so I was at um, a gay quiz, male gay quiz thing, and part of the quiz, we all had to get dressed up and create a kind of nativity. So it's loads of gay men creating nativity, and I just thought, fuck it, I'm the Virgin Mary, made, made a baby and got my tits out and breastfed it. <laughs> Somehow I do see that as a power act. I'm not sure why, but I do feel there's a power in it. There is a power in exposing one breast, isn't there? There's a power... Uh, in a male gay bar, as the Virgin Mary, with presumably a baby doll, you didn't steal a baby for the... No, no, unfortunately not. Unfortunately, you didn't see a baby on the way there. That, that probably would have been taking it a bit far and maybe have reduced the boldness of the feminist act. Anyone done anything feminist they'd like us to help with? Anyone done anything feminist that they want actual help with? Oh, someone's... Yes? What's yours? I've become a Her Game 2 ambassador. Her Game 2 ambassador. Which is a movement to make 
football more friendly for women um, and non-binary and people of, of, of marginalised gen genders. So um, I'm part of the team down at Dulwich Hamlet, my local non-league football club. So uh, we, we have, uh, I'd love for people to come down. I'd love for people to suggest anything to me that they would like to see happen to make the game more friendly um, and what they would need to want to come along. Um, so, yeah. And is her game to a movement across the country? Mm -hmm. okay. So um, there's a lot of football clubs that are starting to partner with the organisation um, in making different clubs more friendly. So if you're listening somewhere else in the UK, you could get in touch with Her Game 2. And if you wanted to start something with a local club, or yep. there might be one already that you could get involved exactly. with. Exactly. And if, if you, you are anywhere near Dulwich... Yeah, absolutely. You, we could come and get involved yeah, with you. Yeah, but if, if you're a supporter of any team, pressure them. Make sure that they are making all these spaces friendly for women. Okay. So just give us a cheer if you're anywhere near Dulwich. Uh, could you get involved in Her Game 2? Great, all right. So when we times that by the number of people listening to the podcast, that's going to be a lot. It will, um, but it will. even one person is, no, absolutely, is, absolutely. is important. And if you're listening somewhere else in the world, there's probably something similar where you are. And if there isn't, you could start it. Yeah, um, wonderful. Great. What's your name? I'm Emma. Emma. Big round of applause for Emma. Thank you very much. All right. Are we ready to start the podcast? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage... My incredible co-pilot for this evening, she is a wonderful stand-up comedian, a wonderful activist, and a really good friend of mine. Put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the wonderful Shappi Kosandi! <laughs> Shappi, how lovely to see you. It's so nice to see you. I haven't been out of my house for quite some time. You are blinking in the light like a gremlin a little bit. I know. That's true. <laughs> If you don't mind me saying. I haven't been on a stage for a very long time. It just seems a bit odd. How long? Uh, well, I probably since um, uh, November, early November, which is a long time in the life of a comic. That's like being a gymnast and not doing a backbend for a year. I can do backbends, but I was just wanting to flex that facts. Flex. Are you also a gymnast? I didn't know that. I'm very good. Well, I'm flexible. <laughs> I can do the splits, but only after four pints. I'm fairly sure that's not safe. <laughs> what, the four pints or the splits? I think, I think if you're going to do the splits, you're meant to do them after half an hour of warming up, and I'm pretty sure that doesn't involve any an pints. I don't need half an hour. Oh! I didn't go all the way down. I didn't go all the way down. You know the horrific thing is... Oh, my God, this is the... You know what the most disgusting thing in the world is mothers who are, who are competitive with their daughters. The only thing I'm competitive with my daughter, she's nine, she's a really good gymnast, and every time she does something, I go, yes, I used to be able to do that. And I'm an arsehole. It's the worst. So are you now thing. able to do the splits again because your daughter started doing the splits? <sighs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's like, oh, mummy, you can do it. Well done, you got this, mummy. Oh, mummy, you're crying. It, yeah, it's really difficult. It's, I, I'm in pain. How old's your daughter now? She's still nine. Yeah. Still? <laughs> yeah, she, no, but she hasn't had a birthday since she started speaking. I see. You've known her. You've known it her. Would be heartless birth, to meet, so. It would be heartless to have missed her party by being here. Um, <laughs> all right. I am 
going to do the opening title. So, you know, when you hear me on the podcast going live and you hear the audience applauding, that will tonight be the sound of you. Okay, so when I say live from the Soho Theatre in London, you will break into spontaneous applause. Chappie is going to bring you to a climax, because she'll sort of be able to hear when I'm done. <laughs> Chappie's going to bring you to a climax using only her hands. Comedy has changed since <laughs> I last did it. Right. Are we ready? And so if you could just sort of boy them along with that kind of thing. I mean, I don't want to make you competitive, but Felicity Ward, you know, she does a full body gymnastics. when she With what? A, you know, she sort of will freewheel, cartwheel. But I don't want to pit women against each other so early in the year. Um, we leave that till March. So She doesn't drink, you know, Felicity Ward. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that was the bitchiest thing I could think of. I haven't used the word bitchy for a long I mean, time. That was the meanest thing I could think about I her. D- I don't think that's a character flaw, not drinking. Uh. <laughs> what? what? That's not a bad thing to say about someone, unless you say it in that voice. <laughs> she doesn't drink, so if you're out drunk with her, just know that she will remember everything. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. No, I'm Although, kidding. Although, I, I do hear people sometimes say, oh, they don't drink, it's so boring. And I, th- I always think... I have never been bored by a sober person the way I've been bored by a drunk person. (laughs) Like, what's the boring part there? And I think the boring part is exactly that, is that you feel you can't get boring. Absolutely. And and it's like... I mean, one feels. I I know you were joking, but one feels. Um, On on New Year's Eve, I had some friends over and I I didn't want to drink. And so I didn't. And I said to my partner, don't tell anyone I'm not drinking. And after all, I was having like, like um, you know, whatever, just pretending. And even at midnight, I had a Ribena and fizzy water to pretend. I was having pink champagne. It's ridiculous. And all my friends noticed, but they didn't say anything. But it was a big palaver because they were doing karaoke. And it was, they were all being amazing. But I, I realised now that it's actually quite hard to sing in tune oh, yeah. when you're sober. <laughs> I think it's just as hard when you're drunk, but you think I'm you're amazing. brilliant. Yeah, I'm exactly. Warwick. I think exactly. We think we're Mariah Carey when we're drunk, but yeah. in fact, it's way worse. Uh, so I think, but it's true. Very few people have ever done karaoke sober. Just give me a cheer if you've done karaoke sober, and and just give me a cheer if you if you can sing. Oh, that's interesting because I think the only people who do karaoke sober normally are really good singers, and they're like, actually, if they've done a short run in the West End, and they're like, I'm I'm not doing that anymore because I'm writing my book, but um, I am quite a good singer, and they actually go outside and warm up a bit before their karaoke. I will love you as I love you all my life. That's what I did. Oh, it's good though. But they were too drunk to realise I was being good. Ah, Again, again. See, you want to be hanging out with Felicity Ward more. That's what I say. Um, All right. So I'm going to say live from the So Theatre. We've sort of strayed from the point a bit, Shappy. Shappy and I have both been diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm only diagnosed with ADHD because Shappy told me backstage I had it. She was like, we were doing a gig somewhere and for Sarah Pascoe. Remember at the Bluesbury? And Shappy... She so doesn't have it. You don't think she she doesn't have it? Shappy backed me up against know. a wall and went, you have ADHD, you have it, you need to go and get diagnosed. And I was like, have I, have I, have I? And she was like, look at all the signs. And then she listed some things that might indicate someone had ADHD. 
What that means is... Is I'm an arsehole. Chappy. No, it was very helpful because I went and got diagnosed. Okay. You were my entry point. But I, I feel so much better about myself now, about my doom piles and my, you know... And I've also got like little strategies for myself now. I think it's fantastic knowing. Because otherwise you just beat yourself up and go, why can't I do what well, other people do? Now that I know do? and I'm on medication, I'm just as scatty as I was before, but I just don't care anymore. <laughs> excellent, excellent. The same principle as drinking before karaoke. Yeah. One of us, though, has to be on let's keep to the point duty yes. because I've just realised we still haven't done the introduction <laughs> because we've been at so many rabbit warrens and now it's really interesting to me. If I'm some, with someone with ADHD, I realise this happens. So I feel like we should put someone in charge of going, not you, Tom. It needs to be someone not you because you're the producer and also I won't respond to it. But, like, a, an authoritative woman who can go, what's the point? So, is there anyone who, who's in management? Women in management? Women or people of minority genders in management? Just cheer. Great. Okay, you're in management? Great. And you spoke up very early on. Super. What's your name? Claudie. 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 Sorry, I just saw my job. Oh, that's okay, Claudie. You're ideal for the job. <laughs> we, al we already like you more knowing that you can't speak because you've got a mouthful of chocolate. Carrying on the spirit of Christmas. So, Claudie, if you're thinking, well, it's been a long time since we've heard a point, you're just going to shout, what's the point, like this. Ready? One, two, three. What's the point? Okay, great. Thank you, Claudie. Excellent. <laughs> this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities, which... Undermine them. Undermine them. Thank you very much. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Chaparat Kosandi. And tonight, we have some very special guests on, and we're going to talk about Iran. Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage the incredible Shappi Corsandi! Do I stand up? Oh, I like, oh, wow, that's exciting. Oh, I'll actually stand up. Gosh, I haven't done this for ages. How exciting. Oh, um, hello. So it's really lovely to be here uh, with you all. And I am from the 90s. So, um, <laughs> right, but by that, I mean, I was in my uh, 20s in the 90s. And during lockdown, my son, who's, um, who was 14, he said to me, uh, Mummy, did you go raving in the 90s? And I was like, oh, he knows that I was cool. And I was going to tell him about like, what raves I went to. And he goes, no, 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 I just need a little bit of information because I'm doing an essay uh, about social history. So, our youth, Deborah, is now social history. And he said to me, and he's really got into 90s music, and he said to me, oh, Mummy, have you heard of a band called Blur? I was like, I've invented Blur. And I'm quite... And being from the 90s, and because, you know, we were ladettes back then, and the ladette culture, we were the, we were the women that muddled feminism up with alcoholism. Because I'd be like, he's having 10 pints, why can't I? Because you're five foot two, Shappy, you will die. <laughs> there was some sort of like armour to being absolutely shit-faced and not remembering the, per the names that you just bonked. And anyway, so I um, thought that, you know, I'm, I'm a cool mum and I'm a responsible mum, so I talked to my young um, boy, my lad, my teenage son, about consent. I talked about consent... And he listened, and after a while, he went, yeah, but mummy, it's, it's not just about uh, consent, though, is it? Because 
um, someone might be sober and consent, but they might be feeling overwhelmed or they might be feeling pressured. So it's enthusiastic consent, really. <laughs> you know, when you pretend you already knew something. I was like, oh, not just because they've driven you home. Okay. <laughs> We thought we were being young, independent women, but we didn't go out and have a drink in the hope that we met someone we fancied. We went out and we drank until we fancied someone. <laughs> I used to go out with my cousin, who's the same age as me, and we were in our early 20s, we were both skint, and we thought we were strong, independent women by going up to men in bars, businessmen, and businessmen were anyone like over the age of 35 that wore a shirt. And we'd say, it's my birthday. And then they would get you a drink and you got shit-faced for free. Now, if I say, it's my birthday, they're like, oh my God, would you like to sit down? So... <laughs> And we went out one night and we met this guy, this, uh, he was an American guy, he was um, over 40, so we thought he's a very rich businessman. And um, he uh, took a shine to us and my cousin and I went out with him, he bought us drinks, he bought us dinner, he took us to a nightclub and at the end of the night we went to his plush hotel suite and I was so naive, I went into the bathroom and I was like, oh, we've met a lovely new friend. And my cousin comes in and she goes, babe, you do realise... He's expecting a threesome now. And I was like, that's disgusting. Because you're my cousin. That was the only moral issue that I saw in this scenario in the 90s. And, and then she goes, but, but well, you know, you're going to have to sleep with him, chap, because he's taken us out. He's spent all this money. He's bought us dinner. And I said, why me? And she said, oh, because you had a starter and domain. And what I find now, like, younger comedians, they, they don't get shit. Like, in, in the 90s, like, the comedy was like, you know, just get very, very drunk and either some kind of career happens or you die, right? And my friend was on Live at the Apollo, um, a, a young comic friend of mine, Esther Manito, and I went out with her. She goes, I don't know, I'm not drinking. I'm like, want to clear, uh, keep a clear head for Apollo. She was on it, like, in a few weeks' time. I was like, that's incredible, because I've done Live at the Apollo three times, and each time I stopped drinking when they called my name. And... <laughs> And I was at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and I was uh, out at a party with these like, younger comics in Australia. And at the end of the night, um, they said to me really politely, um, as though they'd noticed that I was you know, leaving and I hadn't had an invite, they went, oh, Shappy, um, I don't know if you're interested, but we're um, having an orgy if you'd like to join us. <laughs> an orgy. I did think about it, but I didn't go because if I was going to do that kind of stuff, I should have done it when I was younger. It's not that I'm too old for an orgy. I'm too mumsy. I'd ruin an orgy. I'd kill the buzz. This would be me at an orgy. Stephen, Stephen, let Mark have a turn. <laughs> Share the paddle. Sh and just another thing I wanted to tell you... I was thinking about this recently, right, because I am, I'm 50 this year and I'm para... <laughs> Hooray for being alive, right? And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm pre perimenopausal. And it's really interesting, like, the, uh, uh, what can I tell you about my sex drive? I'll tell you about my sex drive. Um, 
on norm, like on Saturday, um, I've got the day free. Both my kids are off with their friends doing stuff. Normally on a day like that, I'd want to hang out with my boyfriend and do lots of like adult stuff. Um, but I'm doing a carpentry course by myself. <laughs> It's happened to me, right? So I was just thinking about this. I'm, I'm, I'm being nervous because I haven't said this in front of a, an, an audience before. And I thought, why not on a podcast listened to by millions? Um, so I have this thing that at my age, um, a friend of mine recently, her husband, left her and went out with somebody who was in her late 20s, right? And a lot of people were shocked, shocked, shocked. Like, oh my God, oh my God, he's, he's left her for a younger woman. And I've done this as well. When I was younger, I'd, I'd judge older men for after their divorce going out with someone younger. But now I am at the age of the wives they are divorcing. I'm like, he hasn't left her for a younger model. He's left her for someone who doesn't cringe when he breathes. That was it. Thank you. Shapi Gosadi, everybody. Hello, Australian Guilty Feminists. It's me, Grace Petrie. You might remember me from touring with Deborah and the Guilty Feminists Down Under. Well, now I'm coming back and I'm doing my own headline tour. I'll be in Australia all throughout January 2023, coming to Byron Bay, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, Sydney, the Blue Mountains, Canberra, Adelaide, Tasmania, Melbourne, Geelong, and Bulai. And I'm bringing Folky Ben. You can get tickets and information all at my website at www.gracepeacher.com forward slash gigs. And we would love to see you there. Too easy. Hello, Guilty Feminist of Dublin, calling all gay Michaels. We will be back in Dublin, but this time at the Sugar Club on the 24th of January, 7.30pm, and I will be coming over with Alison Spittle. We'll have some incredible local Dublin guests, as always. We will also be back at King's Place in London on the 26th of January. We are doing two episodes back-to-back. One is with Carrie Ann Lloyd talking about grief and her new book. She is an absolute master at this topic. Uh, so come along because it's a wonderful, warm place to discuss it. Whether you've experienced grief, are experiencing it now, or will experience it, this will be a wonderful show. Also, we will be at Rose Theatre in Kingston on Sunday, the 29th of January. That's 5pm. It's an early show so that you can be tucked up in bed by 10 o'clock in the evening with a cup of cocoa. To book tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows and you can get tickets for any of those shows. While you are at it, could you also just jump on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review? You can leave a review for any episode. Um, ideally, make it five stars, uh, rate, review, and also subscribe if you don't subscribe or follow because it helps other people find the podcasts and it reminds you that we're on. While you're there, if you could subscribe to Media Storm, which is our investigative journalist podcast, uh, it has won so many awards. It's only in its second series and it's won and been nominated for so many awards. Most recently, uh, the two hosts, Matilda Mallison and Helena Wadia, were nominated for a British Journalism Award for Best Interviewers. That's against all the journalists in the whole of the UK. So um, it's really worth a listen. You are going to learn about so many incredible feminist things you never knew you needed to know. Also, while you're there, could you please subscribe to Fock It Up Comedy Club, which is Kima Bob's incredible show. You are going to discover so many exciting, new, talented femmes of colour who are comedians. So please subscribe to both of those things. Uh, if you could uh, leave a review, uh, rate it, give it five stars and tell other people about it. 
Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of this show, please support us on Patreon. And now, back to the podcast. All right, it's time for our guests. Our first guest today is an Emmy and Robert F. Kennedy award-winning British-Iranian investigative journalist, documentary maker, and author. She was also the Times Tehran correspondent. She's also written a book about Tehran called City of Lies. She has a reputation for working in hostile environments. She has reported from over 40 countries, made over 30 documentaries and features and worked as a foreign correspondent for print. Please welcome to the stage, Ramita Navai. guest was born and raised in Tehran but left at age 25 and now lives in the UK working as a rigger for circus and a metal worker building festivals and playgrounds. How cool is that? Please welcome to the stage Rajin Babai. First of all, I just want to say to both of our guests, thank you so much for joining us. And also, Shappi, I know this is a really difficult conversation on Iran. I know it's so personal and so difficult. So I really thank you. Is there a way that you could give us a sort of entry point discussion about where Iran is now and why it's in the situation that it's in? Um, yes, I will. And first of all, I want to say thank you very much for being one of the first people when the protests happened to contact me and say, what can we do? Because it means an awful lot. Um, and also, I, I just want to say that um, if you don't know about Iran's very recent history and how we got here, um, there's never any reason to be bashful about that. I know zero about Norway, like nothing. Um, so... I mean, I think it's doing fine, really, relatively, isn't it? I think, I think when of we have a countries. when we have a Norwegian emergency special, I think the world is fucked and we're over. I think we're done. I think we time to call it Planet Earth, over and out. Well, I heard some Norwegians have to use the showers in their gyms now. <laughs> um, They've all got saunas yeah. in their gardens you in see Norway. See what I mean? I don't know anything about Norway. You know so much more about Scandinavia. So much about Norway. I mean, it just. Um, <laughs> Claudia is just on the edge of her seat to shout, what's the point? Yeah. Okay, I was born in Iran. My father is a, a writer, journalist. We never planned to leave. In 1979, there was a revolution in Iran um, because we had a monarch and people wanted uh, you know, a change. And at the time, the Ayatollah Khomeini presented as an alternative and uh, you know what they talked a lot about was giving Iran back to Iranians and all of this so the revolution happened it was bloody it was horrific so many of us lost family in it my 19 year old uncle was shot dead at a, a demonstration and so many of us fled those of us who could fled and particularly uh, if you were political if you were an artist like my father targeted 
um, by the regime. They were absolutely merciless in stamping out, out any dissent. Uh, and even when we were in London, uh, we had to go into hiding in 1984 because uh, the uh, Iranian regime, uh, the uh, Islamic Republic of Iran's regime, um, sent terrorists over to shoot my dad, right? So this is the background of many Iranians living outside of Iran. I don't think I met any economic migrants um, back then. That is a very typical thing about Iranians is that we are in exile, we are a diaspora. So then what's happened since is that um, Iran has been regarded as being held hostage with more than 40 million people back in 79 on board. Now the generation of Iran is terribly, terribly young. And this young generation, I think over half under 30, I think. It's a very young generation and they have had enough. Over the years, we've had the Green Movement and various other attempts at protest and they have been stamped out by the government. The big difference between this protest that has started off in September and people spilling out into the street, it has been a, a woman-led protest. It started when a young woman called Massa Amini was... Um, uh, um, she was yes, she was murdered uh, by police for allowing her hair to show under her headscarf, right? And this prompted uh, demonstrations and protests. And if you have been following, not the news because it's not really covered in the news, but on on the internet, you'll see what is going on now. Is that people are trying, and, and there's widespread protests all over Iran. Um, young people, terribly young people are being arrested now and now, they're now being executed. And we, outside of Iran, have a duty. We, as in us Iranians, um, have a duty to speak up and spread the word um, in order to get the international community to look at Iran. Um, as a culture... As a people, we are a, a secular people. And I think that initially a lot of people were like, oh, I don't want to seem anti-Islamic. This is not about religion. This is not about religion. This is about a state subjugating its people. And I never know where to put a natural full stop here. And I'm very conscious that I'm sitting next to Ramita, who is... Um, Brilliant at explaining. And also, Rojan, you lived in Iran until you were 25. So sometimes when I meet someone like yourself, I'm like, oh, she's a proper, <laughs> proper Iranian. Um, so can I um, ask you first, Romita, if you can colour what I said in, in any more succinct way um, <laughs> in terms of where the protests are now? So it's been four months. Over 500 Iranians have been killed so far. 70 of them are children. Um, 19,250 Iranians have been arrested and imprisoned. We know that in prison, Iranians are being tortured and raped. 26 Iranians are at risk of imminent execution, so they could be killed at any time. 83 Iranians have been given, uh, have been charged with capital offences, executionable offences. These are just the figures that we know about. So as you can imagine, figures out of Iran, it's really hard to get accurate figures. 
We know that the number's much higher, and I'll give you an example of why. So there was a 22-year-old guy, I don't know if you heard about him, who got executed um, recently. He was a protester, and he was not on any of the lists. So there are lists that human rights groups are collating of people who have been arrested, people who face execution charges. He wasn't on any of these lists. That's because his parents had been told if they kept quiet, they wouldn't kill him. He was also told, by the way, if he signed a confession, they wouldn't kill him. And he signed that confession. It's a forced confession. And this is playbook Iranian regime. This is how they operate. So that's, they're, they're, they're the numbers of Iranians involved at the moment. Um, in regards to protests, now the protests have died down in the last few weeks. They're still happening. So in the last week, I think there have been over 20 protests and rallies, but they're not happening to the same extent as they were, especially in cities, big cities like Tehran, the capital, where it's much easier for the security forces to crack down. Protesters have slightly changed their kind of modus operandi, so it's kind of more neighbourhood protests now uh, to stay safe, so they kind of tend to protest outside their homes so they can run back in their homes. Uh, the protests are still happening in two major ethnic areas, so Kurdistan in the northwest and Baluchistan in the south that borders Afghanistan and Pakistan. And these two ethnic groups have been disproportionately killed and targeted by the regime. But what's happening, so we don't lose hope, so... The protesters have not been cowed. They are still angry. And every day there is civil disobedience. And what that means is that now women in Tehran and women in Iran throughout the whole country, and I find this extraordinary, they are leaving their houses without their headscarves, right? So, so this, you, you, you know, you can get flogged, you can get arrested for this, especially now as it's seen as a sign of uh, such a symbol of dissent. But Iranian women every day across the whole country are refusing to be cowed and they are risking their lives every day by leaving their houses without their headscarves. And this is what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the right to feel the sun on their hair. They're fighting for the right of freedom and they want absolute regime change. Yeah. <clears throat> Because it, it, it's so at odds with Iranian culture as well, the government. Can I ask Rojan, yourself, like, growing up in Iran, um, what I saw of it, living on the outside um, when I was a kid, was when I spoke to my cousins in Iran, uh, and I, I would go, so what's it like there? They'd always go, it's fine, it's fine, it's wonderful. We love him, we love our leader, and all of this, because everyone was so terrified of their phones being tapped. Can you give us a little, um, uh, a little view into what life is, was like in Iran uh, under this regime? Yeah, so um, I just want to say in the beginning, because the reason that I'm, just because I'm here now, I'm going to complain about how they didn't let me play football with the boys. It doesn't mean that the problems in Iran end there. Uh, there's more important, like, really serious problems with, like, how much they've been stealing money, like... That Iran's got like a lot of natural resources. People are literally hungry in the streets, and a lot of these young boys and girls in the street now um, are fighting because they're angry and they've just got nothing to lose. And 
if tomorrow they turn around and say, you don't have to wear a scarf anymore, that is not where the problems finish. And I grew up in Tehran, which is by far the most um, comfortable place to live in Iran. And my parents had money to send me to Europe and stuff. So um, I can only speak of my own experience, which is... Um, but I feel like I'm responsible to speak from their their what's happening to most of Iranians. <laughs> Um, yeah, in terms of Islam, we basically, we just grew up as gangsters um, and they teach us since you were really young, because our parents, like, when they were like 20 something, it was free and they were, they like carried on, keep showing off to us. Oh, I used to go to disco, I met your mom in a club. And, and then when it gets to us and it's like, um, yeah, we have like maximum 30 people in a party and you have to close the doors and the windows. But we found a lot of ways of like running away from it. Um, everyone's really there's everything is everything is illegal, and everything is in private. And that's why I feel like a lot of people think Iranians like I don't drink. And most of the time, when people meet me the first time, they're like, "Oh, you don't drink because you're a Muslim." I'm like, "No, I don't drink because I drank pure ninety percent alcohol from um, pharmacy because that was what you could get." <laughs> and now I can't drink anymore. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I just feel like the government basically, they, when we were young, that's like 20, 30 years ago, like it was, we didn't know it's going to get this bad. Like we just wanted to live our life and we didn't know when we grow up, like they're going to throw away every responsible educated people from the government and then people like... We just didn't know it was going to get this bad. We just wanted to live normal like any other people. And there was a lot of waves of, like, running away from it. You know, I, I think it is, it is critical. It's a critical point that you weren't allowed to play football with the boys. <laughs> because yeah. well, I, I saw scenes of Iranian girls trying to... Uh, they, were, they, they would dress up like guys and try and get into stadiums. Yeah. And then they were, they were told that, that they were able to go... And they had tickets, but once they got to the stadium, they were tear gassed. Now that yeah. that is massively significant because it just starts from the very um, the, the most basic joy of sport or dancing. Like if you know any Iranians, we dance when we're sober. Like it's such an integral part of our self-expression. And they came along and just put a blanket ban on everything like that. And when you stifle people, it spills out. Yeah, like when I was, um, obviously, like my parents, friends, kids, they were all like, they were all boys for some reason. Uh, and I was hanging out with them, playing with them. And then like north of Iran, there's the sea, you go to the beach. And then all of a sudden, I started getting a little bit older. And then some random religious guy comes and passed by. And he's like, oh, if you don't get the gear out of the water, we're going to call the police. So then like, all of a sudden, I wasn't allowed to like do a lot of stuff that I used to do. So suddenly, as a child, you were suddenly got to an age where you weren't allowed to swim because yeah, people were threatening nine, to call you to call you're the police. An adult. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my grandmother got married when she was nine. I mean, that's not marriage, is it? <laughs> that's not marriage. <laughs> anyway, what's the point? Um, can I ask you? Uh, can you explain uh, to us uh, the difference between the police and the revolutionary guards? Well. The police, as in, like, the traffic police? Yeah, well, no, no, no. I mean, just, like, because we keep hearing about the revolutionary guards are going to go through a reform. Yeah. And I think that um, a lot of people don't understand that, apart from the actual police, they are the regime enforcers, or is that... Or am I think... Um, I don't know, like there's the too many of them, to like, be honest. The, 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 it is, yeah, but the Basijis, yeah, the, Basijis. the ones that they... Um, 
they're basically they're like the gods of the of Khamenei. They're like they're devoted to him. Um, so and is this like what, we, what they call in the papers sometimes the morality police? No, no, that's no. a different one. So the morality police is more official. And sometimes actually when Basi G is like, you're like driving down the road and you like playing, I don't know, playing music and they stop you and you have to like hide your tapes or sometimes you like have them record like on one side you have Koran recorded so when they come you put it the other way. <laughs> and then... Um, so then sometimes when Basiji's like saying stuff to you, like actual morality police sometimes tells them to go away because they can't, Basiji, they arrest you, they don't arrest you, they kidnap you and they take you somewhere and they torture you. Whereas the, the actual police takes you to the police station and legally whip you. That's the difference. So, so the Basij are like Islamic Boy Scouts. So it's like a volunteer force. Yeah. Right, so it's kind of often young boys who are from poorer families, disenfranchised, and there's no football pitch, there's no swimming pool, there's nothing to do. So if you go to your local mosque, you're suddenly the man because they give you a baton. You know, you're a little bit older, they might give you a gun. You're allowed to set up checkpoints. And all of a sudden, you've got power over the rich kids, annoying rich kids who are privileged, who can have parties, who can have girlfriends, who you know are kissing and having sex with members of the opposite sex. So that's the, that's the Basij, and they're loyal. They answer to the supreme leader, right? But at the moment, they're not the biggest threat because the Basij live among Iranians. So, you know, there'll be a Basij living opposite my flat in Tehran, opposite your flat in Tehran. Everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows their names. So they're scared, right? So they're living amongst the people who are against them, the Revolutionary Guards, now, they're the people we have to be scared about. They're not going to reform. So Khomeini founded the Revolutionary Guards just after the revolution. And this was... So this isn't the ordinary army. This is an army of about 150,000, 200,000 men who were founded to protect the Islamic regime's political system. That's what they're there for. And they're the really worrying ones because they answer directly to the supreme leader. And they, unlike the army, so numbers gain, the army is about, what, 300,000. Unlike the army, they are really well-trained. They're well-equipped and they're well-paid. And they will be loyal to the supreme leader. Can you tell me, uh, Ramita, as people here um, in the West, the international community, what support can we give to the Iranian protesters? Um, what can we do? I've heard that if you get um, officials to sponsor someone who's on, on uh, death row, um, they are likely to um, not execute them. I think that's happened a few times already. So what can you tell people they can do to support? Keep it alive, keep the stories alive, keep it in the media, keep it on social media. So social media is kind of being like the oxygen for the Iranian protesters. Write to your MPs, complain about the Islamic Center in Maida Vale that is run by the Supreme Leader's Office that got over 100,000 during furlough, by the way. And guess what they do? Uh, when there are protests of Iranians against uh, the regime here in London, and the protesters march up the Edgware Road up to the Islamic Centre in Maida Vale, um, there have been cases of people working for that Islamic Centre attacking police 
pretending that they're the protesters, and I've seen this with my own eyes, so the police then attack ordinary Iranian protesters. Write to your MPs. You know, um, you can pay for VPNs. So VPNs are virtual proxy networks that Iranians have to use to circumvent the internet because the internet is banned and the regime can um, block the whole of the internet, which it has done intermittently to control uh, information, so censorship. And VPNs that work, it's really, they're expensive. And even if you've got uh, a card, you can't pay for it because of banking sanctions. Iranians can't pay online. So what we can do is, you know, make these VPNs available for Iranians in Iran. You know, Starlink, for example, Elon Musk Starlink. This is what governments can do to help Iran. How do we help chip in and pay for those VPNs? Is there a link somewhere we can go where we know that that's... that's it's going to go to VPNs. Is there a clear way through? Um, I've, gosh, it's, it's quite a complicated system of how you can do it, but you can do it. And I will put it up on my Instagram. Uh, but I think if you can, in... you, can go, you can Google actually and go on to Twitter and see how you can, you can support, yeah, you can pay Great. for VPNs and do that kind if of thing. They're not expensive. If you share that with us, we can put it on the show notes of this show as well. And lots of people who will listen to it will go into the show notes and pay for a VPN. Because I will certainly do that. Great, thank you. And there are organisations who've um, paid for buses um, in in London with Woman Life Freedom and also in Brentford near where I live, um, but I'm more Ealing W5 just to make that clear. Um, (laughs) Edit that out, God. Um, It's always good to break the tension, Shafi. Just nerves and emotion. And there's a massive um, billboard on the motorway there, right by the um, uh, yeah, crossing, and it's, it's massage, faith, and woman life freedom, and it is bold, and it is beautiful, and, there, and we'll, we'll give you the names of organisations that you can donate to, because if we get the woman life freedom protest movement in Iran, uh, if we just keep that spark going, people really care, people really know about it, like, you know, um, even, even uh, Michelle Obama finally came on board, um, so it's, isn't that awful, isn't it awful when you start to go, well, she hasn't said anything, Britney, I found myself thinking this morning, Britney Spears is married to an Iranian, and she's done one perfunctory post, and that is not a way that I like to think, because people have their own lives and their own worlds, and it does no good. Uh, but seriously, Brittany, if you're listening, jeez. I mean, if anyone should understand being freed, it's Brittany. <laughs> um, probably edit that out as well, Tom, I'd say. Um, as a comedian, if you see it, you need to go for it. You don't know what the reaction's going to be. You just, you know. Um, are there any ways we can sponsor individual women, send the money, send activists... Uh, resources? Is there any any way through or is it too difficult? Well, I think with money, it's always been difficult anyway. It's not, it's not like you can't just put money in someone's bank. But if you know any Iranian, you can give them some money and they will somehow send it to their auntie and they will find some poor kid to give it to them, definitely. That's, I have to say, that's what I do. Yeah. I, I give money to my family in Iran. Um, and they've had their windows done. No, I'm kidding. Of course. They, they <laughs> find ways to distribute it. Yeah, but so are, actually it's better to PayPal someone you know. There is no organised uh, yeah, account in Iran because they cannot be. There are in this country, though, to keep the uh, momentum going and to keep um, 
the names of, of, of these protesters out there and to keep their woman life freedom slogan out there and we will put them on your website. I'll, I'll do it in Crayon. You might have to do it yourself. And is it, Ramita, would you recommend joining in with the Amnesty uh, protests around this? Amnesty International have been doing brilliant work. They've got an amazing Iran team. Human Rights Watch have got an amazing Iran team. Um, there's a group in Washington. Uh, they could do with some cash. There's a group in Scandinavia. I think it's Norway. <laughs> well done. Well done. So, Iranian human rights groups um, that have been monitoring the situation, monitoring executions. They're both brilliant. So if we get involved, and we can again put these in the show notes, but if you, for example, go onto the Amnesty website, they always have actions that you can do. And I think uh, awareness is one thing, but I always worry awareness without action leads to depression. It's like you think, oh, God, now I know about all these terrible things, but I'm not helping. And I think I always trust Amnesty's actions, and I think these other ones sound great as well. So find something to get behind. And if you just do one thing a week, it might take one minute a week, or you may not have any money to share. You may not. You may be showering at the gym, whatever. But there, I'm telling you, in your WhatsApp groups, there are people who can afford it. And sometimes, I think, sometimes now people scroll and they see a million things. But if someone asks you directly and says, hey, would you get involved with this? And there'll be people in your world who have money, who would like to help, but they just don't really know. They don't have an entry point, as I was saying before. They just don't really know what's going on. But if you said to them, hey... I just listened to the show and, you know, I'd love you to get in. I think, I think, you know, knowing your value set as I do and knowing that, you know, the way that you look after women in your life, I think you'd really like to get involved with this. Very few people go, no, I'm a bit of a selfish bastard, if I'm honest. <laughs> Nearly everybody finds that a compliment. If you say to them, you know, no, and I mean, obviously don't say it if you know someone is actually Scrooge, but, you know, lots of people have great values in their life but they're not really doing anything outside their family or their immediate circle and I think asking those people directly and getting them involved and plugging them in can really help a lot of people would pay for a VPN a lot of people feel strongly about this kind of stuff but just don't know where to begin Rajan, can I ask you if everyone in this room would agree to do something is there anything you would like us to do <laughs> I don't actually know. <laughs> uh, no, because uh, actually, please don't, uh, as a white person, go and shout Zanzani Abazi and with a massive smile and on your face because it's really uh, disrespectful. You think you're doing something amazing and you like supporting some. <laughs> it's just like oh, I've, well, I've seen I, videos of ir really, of violence. It makes like, me so happy. I'm I, quite surprised. I don't like how they like look really proud of themselves. It's like oh, I'm doing something, but we're and united, it's like fun surely. and happy. It's not happy. There's eighteen thousand people in prison, and there's every single of these kids that they go to prison. The whole nation is upset by it. Iranians are really romantic. We don't just like say numbers. It's um, I I I hundred percent understand your emotions around this. Um, I would say, though, when you have people who aren't, don't have a connection with Iran supporting this, it's so hopeful. It gives me so much hope when um, at protests people who aren't Iranian come because they care in the same way. No, no Carl, I I'm not saying don't come, but don't be like, yeah. Oh, like, it's not a party. Not, yeah. not exactly, yeah. because the yeah. English demonstrations is always like this. Like the first one I went, it was like for the cuts. They were doing cuts in London. Everyone was like dancing and like 
play music and he's like, we burn petrol stations, nothing happens. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's um, a really interesting point of view you bring that I have the privilege not to have experienced because I see what you mean, you know. And, and by the way, I love this, the way you say every, dem every demonstrations I've been on here because I think as Iranians, we're like, there's a demo, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> what do I want? <laughs> Table for two, where do you want it? By the window, please. Um, <laughs> So I, I completely understand them. I, I grew up in the 70s and my mum didn't used to take us to sort of soft play or anything. She took us to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. That was our day out. Um, so I think that is to be very mindful of the fact that this, for us, this is like happening in Nuneaton. You know, this isn't like another far-flung place that we are supporting. This is our families. I mean, I spoke to my cousin Delaram in Iran a few weeks ago, and she's my age. She's not a politicized person. She can't sleep on her back because of the, the um, air gun um, wounds in her back. She goes out every day with her two boys. And I said to her, don't. This is her. And she goes, Shap, what are we meant to do? What are we meant to do? So you have to be mindful if you go, you know, that... that, that um, uh, this, this is, is very personal. For very, very personal for us. And mm. don't take beer with you and sparklers. I, do, I don't mind the beer and the sparklers and the smiles, personally. I don't know. I'm just I agree. Well, but it's, do you I know just what? Love the fact that it's people sort of care enough to turn up and be united and fists in but the But actually, air. It, I'm actually... It's, it's also good that you three are not agreeing on things because... This is part of the problem. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it is. I think we've got so frightened of disagreeing in society I'm at the moment. I'm terrified of disagreeing. And I, agree and with I actually Anita. think I'm we need... Listen, we're obviously all on the same team here. Myself. We're on the same team. But you can see from this, Iranian women are not one big monolithic group. Uh, there's all sorts of different points of view. So turn up and do what you think is right with respect... And with giving space, I think it's a really good reminder if you turn up at a protest that it's you're a guest, you're not a tourist, you know? So you're not there to put it on Instagram to show that you were at a protest and look how good I'm being. And you're not there for a day out. So, you know, you are there to support. And so go with a willing spirit, but also go to give literal personal space and to go and to sort of see how you're needed and how you can support. And don't be frightened of asking how you can support and giving that respect. And, and also, it's so important to remember there are many, many women in Iran and they will all feel different things and be living different lives. And it's really easy, I think, just to go, oh, that's one thing. All of those women dress the same and, and they're all feeling this. They're all oppressed or they're all um, angry or they're all... In, and actually, they're all human beings and there's a very different living human being inside each of those bodies. And what we want is for them to each be able to express who they are and how they feel. That's what we're asking for. Um, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say, Shappy? Um, about this particular yeah. subject? Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us more about carpentry. <laughs> no, about this, because we can talk about carpentry another time. You, okay, here's what I want to tell you, right? Um, 
If you know Iranian people, uh, friends of yours, it is completely okay. It is so wonderful if you um, say to them, how are you feeling about all this? Because um, it is, I don't think any uh, Iranians have slept properly since September. Um, and also here tonight, today, um, when this episode comes out, share it with your WhatsApp groups. Just put it out there. Have the confidence to don't feel like you're burdening people. Just put it out there um, because it doesn't always have to be as complicated as, as finding this to donate to or, or that to join. But that's why we're doing this. We're not doing it for... Um, well, we are obviously... You, wonderful you're here but it's not just a live medium it's it's to be spread the news is to be spread and I cannot thank Deborah yourselves and anyone else who has shown an interest in um uh finding out a bit about this and uh, talking about it talk to talk about it to people that you don't think will be interested and also if you if you see me as a at a party don't come up to me and go Oh, it's really bad what's happening in Iran, isn't it? I think, <laughs> I think that is the thing I've found that it's not small talk, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's likely to provoke emotion. And the thing we try and do at The Guilty Feminist is to make the show, at the first part of the show, always funny, so it's palatable to draw people in. You know, it's not like, here's something difficult, very, very difficult, very difficult. And we do that on purpose to make this shareable. It's to draw people in. So you can send it to people who might go, oh, don't send me another one of your awful documentaries, please. That's so difficult and hard for me. But you could send them this, and you hear Shappy doing great stand-up and, you know, some fun stuff at the top. And then what it does is it makes the conversation more human. And, you know, Shappy can, in this environment, make a joke about living in Ealing. So I think it does... That's why we do it. It's to try and make all of this stuff more human and less, hmm, tell me about the situation in Iran from that journalistic perspective that's not emotional. So please do, sorry, we love journalists, don't get me wrong, journalists are very important, um, but some of your friends are already addicted to the news and have already listened to 10 serious podcasts on Iran, and some of them haven't, and for the ones that haven't, this might be a good one to share. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say, Ramita? Um, do you know what, I wanted to talk a lot about sex and Iranians, but we're 10 minutes over, Debs. It's all right. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Can we Zoom that conversation and add it on? Because then this live audience will hear it when they listen and also the people at home will hear it. Because we sometimes do this now because in the live show, you've got all of the other stuff going on. Um, would it be okay to do like a Zoom follow-up? We'll pay you for it. Um, <laughs> it's so... I, I, I was on another panel with Ramita um, recently. It's so massively significant. Okay. Would that be Okay. Her. Yeah, I love talking about okay. sex. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Rajin, very quickly, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Yeah, I, um, the, the Women Commission of UN have finally decided to kick Iran out. I don't know the exact numbers. You can look it up. Nearly half of them were either indecisive or they said no. So I just got really upset about that. I thought I should say it. They were slow. Yeah, so that... Bloody great point. So yeah. unbelievable that Iran was on the UN human rights group for women. Mm. I mean, for women's rights. I mean, it's just... But then half of the countries bizarre. that are in the group still, they were like indecisive. I don't know. How can you be indecisive? Just feel like they should shut down the whole thing. Yeah. 
I absolutely <laughs> agree with you. Um, can I just say, it's been such a brilliant discussion. I look forward to talking to you more and there will be more content that you'll be able to hear when you tune in. Can I have a huge, huge, huge round of applause for Ramita Naval? <laughs> Navai! Navai! Fucked it up. I knew I would. Navai. And Rajin Babayi. Shappi Korsandi. You've been a completely wonderful audience. Thank you so much to Soho Theatre. Sorry we've run over. I've been Deborah Francis-White. We win the Guilty Feminist. Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest star Shafarak Vasandi, and our very special guest, Ramita Navai and Rojin Babayi. The recording engineer was Grundy Lizimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Slinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craft and Gina Dicio, Zainab Mohammed, and everyone at Soho Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Strong work. Strong, strong, strong work. I can't... I mean, I hope someone filmed that so we can send it to Felicity Ward. Um, oh, Shappy's using this opportunity to go and get the chair. Well done. That was seamlessly done. What kind of... Yeah, this is kind of like, in, you know, when you go and see a musical and someone drops something and someone else skillfully picks it up doing a dance move. It's the greatest thing. Isn't it great when you go to the theatre and things go wrong? Isn't it the best... You, you just think, oh, my God, I'm having a unique experience. That's why people enjoy coming to The Guilty Feminist so much. Um... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.